Well, kids, uh, my question for you this morning is this. What is the, your favorite thing that you own? Okay? It, it, maybe it's your most valuable possession. Maybe it's, it's your most cherished or sentimental possession. Maybe it's something that you're most proud of. Maybe there's no good reason at all for why it's your favorite thing. It just is. But what is your favorite thing that you own? Charlie, I see your hand back there first. A Nintendo Switch. Yes, your most fun possession probably. Jeffrey. Your gems? Oh, like like jewel gems? Cool. Nice. Okay. Henry? Pokemon trading cards. We've valued those in our house. Yes, Caroline. A Barbie dream house, for sure. Elijah? Huh? can't hear it. Oh, it's bad. Yeah. Amen. That's an old soul right there. Uh, those are great. Those are great favorite things and great beloved items. And I think if you ask anybody in this room, old or young, we'd all have something that we could acknowledge as our, our most cherished possession, our, our favorite thing. But now here's the, the main question. If God asked for it, Could you give it to him? If God told you to either get rid of it or to give it to him, could you do it? Would you do it? Would you be willing to give your most treasured possessions to God? Because that's kind of what we're talking about in our sermon this morning. And so um, if you've got your activity sheets on, those are some questions. Kids, if if you don't have activity sheets, they're always available to you in the back. You can go grab one. But there's some questions on there to help you follow along with the sermon. And and if you didn't share with me your favorite thing after the service today, I would love for you to come tell me what your favorite possession is. Church, what does it cost to follow God? God. That may sound like an odd question to ask, but I think it's a really important one for each and every one of us to consider. What does it cost you to follow God in your life? You know, the mere suggestion of any cost being associated with our lives of faith can make us feel very uncomfortable. The idea of a price being paid in regard to faith offends our Protestant and evangelical sensibilities, which are quick to lean into that grand theological truth that we are saved by grace through faith, which is a gift of God so that no one can boast. We love the fact that we are saved by the free gift of God, as Paul says in Romans 6.23. We champion the reality that a life of faith is accessible to anybody and to everybody regardless of their means. And that as the prophet Isaiah says, that those who thirst for God are invited to come and to buy without price the satisfaction that the Lord invites us into. And so the idea that there could actually be a cost required to follow God in faith causes us to bristle and to put up our defenses. And yet, 
in both our Old Testament and Gospel readings for this morning. From both the father of our faith, Abraham, and the object of our faith, Jesus, we are told a story and we are given an instruction regarding the incredible cost that is required to be the people of God and to be a disciple of Christ. And so I'll ask you again, what does it cost you to follow the Lord in your life? That's the question we're going to consider together this morning. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it with me to Genesis 22 and Mark chapter 8 and eventually Romans chapter 8. As we look at the cost of following God and why it is a price that we should gladly want to pay. First, we're going to consider what it costs to follow God. And what we see from these two passages, the Genesis and Mark passages, that while it may cost nothing to believe in God, it costs us everything in order to follow him. That's what we see in Genesis 22 and Mark chapter 8. In Genesis 22, we read the story of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac. Now, there's a little bit of background to that story. In in Genesis chapter 11, after the Tower of Babel, when humanity had been scattered over the face of the entire earth, and there was no longer any knowledge of God in the world, and no one worshipped God any longer... In order to show his love to his creation and in order to bless the inhabitants of the earth, God shows for himself a people through whom he would reveal himself and share his love to the world. So in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham and made great promises to him. God promised to make Abraham into a great nation. He promised to bless Abraham and to make his name great. God promised that Abraham would be a blessing to others and that through him all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Sometime later when the very old and yet still childless Abraham wondered how a great nation was going to come from him seeing as he had no children, God promised that he would give Abraham and his wife Sarah a son, and that through their son, Abraham's offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. These were incredible promises that God gave to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 15, we're told that Abraham believed these promises of God, and that because he believed them, it was credited to him as righteousness. All Abraham had to do in order to be made right with God and to obtain salvation, was to believe that God's promises to him were true. That cost Abraham nothing. And yet, in order to follow God in his life, and in order to experience the great promises that God had made to him, that cost Abraham everything that he held dear. We get a glimpse of that back in Genesis chapter 12 when God told Abraham to leave his country and his people and his family 
and to go to the place where God would show him. Abraham had to leave behind everything that he knew and everything that he held dear in order to follow where God would lead him. But in chapter 22, we see the full extent of that cost. When in a test of his faith, God instructed Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. Now, if you're a parent here this morning, I want you to put your arm around your child for a moment. Physically, if they're here. In your mind, if they're not. If you're an older child, bear with your parent for just a moment. Put your arm around your child and contemplate the weight of what God was asking of Abraham. In the language that God used in his request to Abraham, it's almost as if he's turning the screw. Making it as hard as possible by drawing out Abraham's emotions in order to make this already impossible request even more so. God tells Abraham to take his son. His only son, whom he loves, and to sacrifice him. And while this would be unimaginably impossible for any parent, for Abraham, the stakes are even higher. Because for Abraham, the goodness of God and the promises of God were all tied up into Isaac's life. For Isaac was the promised son through whom all of the promises that God had made to Abraham would be fulfilled. Abraham was near the end of his life at this point. And so if he was going to be a great nation, it was going to be through Isaac. If Abraham's name was going to be great, it was going to be because of his offspring. If Abraham was going to bless the families of the earth, it was going to be through his descendants. If Abraham's offspring were going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, it was going to be because of Isaac's children and grandchildren. Literally, every one of the promises that God made to Abraham were bound to and dependent upon his son Isaac. And so when the Lord told Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice upon the mountain... He's basically forcing Abraham to decide, will I trust in the goodness and the promises of God or will I trust in my own wisdom and understanding? Will I follow God's instruction for my life, even when it seems like that instruction makes no sense and may even be counterproductive to everything that I've ever expected? Or will I do what seems best in my own eyes? Will I cling to the Lord? Or will I cling to the things of this earth? In God's command for Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, he's basically asking Abraham to sacrifice everything that he holds dear. To give up everything that he had hoped for, that he had dreamed of, that he had delighted in, that he had counted upon. Abraham is asked to, uh, to sacrifice 
everything in order to follow the Lord. And so are you. Do you realize that? You'll never be asked to physically sacrifice your own children. But you are called to let go of everything that you hold dear in this world. And everything that you trust in. And everything that you depend upon. Including your own life. In order to follow after Jesus. That's what we read in our gospel reading this morning out of Mark chapter 8. Where right after Peter declared that Jesus was their Savior, Jesus then told them in verse 34, that if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. For Peter to believe and to declare that Jesus was their Savior, that cost Peter nothing. The faith was a free gift. But if Peter wanted to follow Jesus, and if you and I want to be followers of Jesus, well, that costs everything. That means denying ourselves the things that we, in our sinful flesh, desire. That means taking up a cross every day of our lives. That means dying to ourselves and to the things of this world. That means trusting in the goodness and the promises of God rather than trusting in our own wisdom and understanding. That means following God's instructions for our lives, even when it seems like those instructions make no sense and may even be counterproductive to everything that we've ever expected, rather than doing what seems best in our own eyes. That means clinging to the Lord rather than clinging to the things of this earth. It's basically the same as God's command to Abraham in that way. But in an all of life figurative sense rather than a very unique and specific literal sense. But the call is the same. It's a call to follow Jesus up the mountain and to sacrifice everything that you hold dear. To give our very lives. This is what it costs to follow Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his aptly named book, The Cost of Discipleship, said that when Christ calls a man... He bids him come and die. This is what it costs to follow Jesus. And the reason that the cost is so high is because as Jesus taught in his Sermon on the Mount, that you cannot have two masters. For you will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and created things. And so knowing the total commitment that is required to follow after him in this life. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus asks his disciples to count the cost. Because if you're not willing to renounce all that you have in this life, you cannot be Jesus' disciple. Those are the words of Jesus. 
You can believe in Him for free. But to follow Him in your life requires everything. Is that a cost that you're paying? Are you making Jesus a priority over every area of your life? Over your marriage? Over your family? Over your calendar and your schedule and your commitments and your priorities? Over your finances and your checkbook and your spending and your investing? Over your entertainment, what you watch and what you listen to? Over your social life? Over your work life? Over your political life? Over your love life? Are you submitting yourself and all that you have in this life to Jesus and to his way of living? This is the cost of being his disciple. It costs everything. So the obvious question becomes, why in the world... (laughs) Would anyone pay that? Why would Abraham be willing to sacrifice his child? Why would we be willing to sacrifice our lives? Why would anyone give up all that they have and what they hold most dear in order to follow after a God who requires so much? That's what the rest of our passages this morning tell us. Not only why it's worth it, but why it's a price that anyone should be glad to pay. There's two main reasons given in these scriptures that I want to highlight for you. The first, because of the good news of the gospel. For what we see in Genesis chapter 22 is that even though Isaac's life was required, in the end, it was the Lord who provided the sacrifice that was needed. And this is the hope that we have in God. That ultimately, He will always provide for us what we need. Abraham obviously didn't know how the Lord would do that as he led his son up the mountain. But he did trust in the goodness of God and in the promises of God and in the power of God. To know that the Lord would be true to His word. And that he would fulfill the promises that he had made. Even if that meant he would have to bring Isaac back from the dead. Which in a sense, he did. Abraham trusted the Lord so completely. That he was willing to take everything that he held dear. Bind it up. Place it on an altar. Raise the knife. And give it to the Lord. And at the very last moment. When God saw the devotion of Abraham. He intervened. An angel of the Lord called from heaven to stop Abraham and to spare his son's life. And seeing that Abraham would not withhold anything from God, God withheld nothing from Abraham. And suddenly behind him in the bushes was a young ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And so Abraham offered the lamb as a sacrifice instead of his son. As we read in verse 14, Abraham named the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And of course, this obviously foreshadows the sacrifice of Jesus. 
Where some 2,000 years later, on that very same mountain, God provided the substitute sacrifice once again. This time in the place of all of our lives, God took his son, his only son, Jesus, whom he loved, and sacrificed him in our place for our sins. As he had done for Abraham, so he did for us. God himself provided the lamb for the offering. He was willing to die so that we would not have to. And when you grasp that good news, when you come to see and to understand that your life was required because of your sins, but that in your place God chose to give his own life so that you could live, That kind of love changes us. That kind of grace, that kind of mercy, it alters our hearts. That kind of sacrifice reorients the way that we think and the way that we see and the way that we experience the world. That kind of free gift of life makes us want to give our lives in response. To the point that no longer is it a burden to make Jesus the Lord of our lives, but it becomes our joy and our delight to do so. No longer does giving him our life seem like a high price to pay. Suddenly seems the very least that we could do. This is how the gospel changes us to make us want to give everything to the Lord. When we know that he's given all of himself to us, we want to give all of ourselves to him. There's another reason we should do this as well, which is clearly and beautifully displayed in all three of our passages of Scripture this morning. And that reason is this. In the end, whatever it is that we give to the Lord in the sacrifice of our lives... We ultimately get back in abundance and in better condition than that which we gave it to him in, right? I mean, think about it. Abraham offered Isaac to the Lord, but in the end, he got Isaac back. And do you think he ever loved his son more than after he thought he had lost him, but then got him back again? And think about the worship that must have filled Abraham's heart. As he sacrificed the God-provided lamb rather than his own son. Do you think he had ever worshipped so joyfully? So thankfully? So completely and fully? And that's just the start of it. From verse 16 and following of Genesis 22, we read that after this event... The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven and said, Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It was through Abraham's obedience that he ultimately experienced God's blessing. 
We see the same reality in our gospel reading from Mark chapter 8, where after being instructed to give their lives, Jesus then tells his disciples that whoever would lose their life for his sake will save it. And in fact, it is only the person who tries to hold on to their life in this world and who refuses to give their life away to God who will ultimately lose it. It's through the obedience of giving everything that we experience the blessing of gaining even more and better in return. It's in the giving of our old lives that we find our new lives. It's in the denying of our false self that we can discover our true self. It's in the dying to the kingdom of man that we are reborn into the kingdom of God. And in every situation... What we gain back is so much better than what we gave up. We give up a normal life. We get back abundant life. Life to the full, Jesus says. We surrender our old, broken, malformed life. And in return, we're given the very life of Christ to be lived in us and to be lived through us. There's not even a comparison It's why in the parable of the treasure from Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says that it is with joy that someone sells all that they have in order to obtain this life. It's worth giving everything for. Because what is gained is so much more valuable than what is given. And just think about how this might play out and work in your life. If you and your spouse give your marriage to the Lord and entrust it into his hands and seek to live it in his way, in the end, you get back a union where you love one another and sacrifice for one another in the way that Jesus did for his church. And you respect one another in the way that the church does Jesus. And you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Which makes for a marriage that is far better than anything you can come up with on your own. If you give your kids to the Lord and seek to raise them in His ways, you get kids who know the instructions of the Lord and who can walk in His ways and who are more likely to live a godly life, which might even include honoring their mother and father as a result. If you give your work to the Lord, you get back a job that has meaning and significance and purpose that goes far beyond a paycheck. If you give your friendships to the Lord, you gain a community of brothers and sisters that live out the one another commands in Scripture for the blessing of the entire community. If we give our finances to the Lord, we gain treasures in heaven that never spoil or fade or run out. The list goes on and on and on and on and on throughout every area of your life. Whatever it is that we give to the Lord, we get back better than we gave it to Him then, and more than we ever invested. That's what we saw from Abraham. That's what we heard from Jesus. That's what we see in the New Testament reading from Romans chapter 8. Where the Apostle Paul, as he reflected upon the generosity of God and the gift of His Son, said in verse 32... That God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul said, God's already given you his son. Christ 
has already given you his life. If they've already given you that much, how will they not also give you all things? Which is an affirmation of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 when he told his disciples that it is the Father's good pleasure to give to them the kingdom. God's plan is to give us everything. He wants to give everything to his children. To those who have followed him in their lives. What would you not give up in order to obtain that? Church, from the very beginning of the story of faith in the Bible, we see there's a great cost to following after the Lord in our lives. We're called to give everything that we hold dear. But we also see from the very beginning of the story of faith in the Bible that the Lord blesses abundantly the obedience of those who trust Him and follow Him in their lives. The cost may at times seem high, but it pales in comparison to the price that was paid for you. And it pales in comparison to what you get back in return. Which makes following the Lord with our lives a price that is always worth paying. Will you give all of yourself and all that you love and all that you cherish and all that you hold dear in this life? Will you give it to the Lord and follow Him in your life? May we joyfully do so. For God's glory and for our good.